0: So as we are in our 21 days of praying, we are going to be using the Lord's Prayer to help us across these next three weeks. We started by saying it together at the beginning of our service. And over the next three Sundays, we're going to break the Lord's Prayer down to understand what happens and what we're praying when we pray it. And if you've been in and around church for a little while, or if you went to a church school as a kid, then the chances are that the Lord's Prayer is something that you can recite in your head, or at least, you know, it kind of jogs the memory that it's there. It's those, it's that, uh, it's those words that we've said time and time and time again over the years. It rolls off the tongue. Might be that you can recite it without even thinking about it. Uh, a little bit like the words of the national anthem, perhaps. It's just kind of in there somewhere. And when you hear it on TV, or you're, uh, the, the, the mood calls and we're required to sing it it kind of all comes flooding back to you. And I think the problem that can sometimes come when you've got something that's so well ingrained that you know so well that it can roll off the tongue is that sometimes we can be tempted to say it as joylessly as sometimes we can with the national anthem as well. I don't know if you've ever watched a sporting event on TV. We've just had the World Cup, and at the start of the World Cup, all of the players line up, and they play the national anthems, and they sing the national anthem, and I've never seen something sung more joylessly in my whole life. a group of a group of men stood there like this and you're going down the line, save And we've all kind of been there. It's a little bit like you remember you used to sing in school assemblies and you'd do it just enough that your lips were moving. Nobody could say you weren't singing. But uh, unfortunately, there's no joy that's taken in those things when we sing. And the point I'm trying to make is that when something's so well ingrained in us, we can sometimes work on autopilot. And when we do so, we're in danger of missing out on the meaning of something that's really, really important. And there's so much richness to be found in the words of the Lord's Prayer. So my hope is that over the next three weeks, as we open it up, as we look at these, um, these, these words, that that have united Christians across denominations and generations, that we engage with these words so that next time we say them, we we can say them with this renewed meaning of what they mean as we unpack them, and a love for what they convey. And The wonderful thing about the Lord's Prayer is it can also act as a bit of a blueprint for how to pray as well, and I hope to be able to share some of that with you as well as we go. So I'd love for us to turn to Matthew 6 together, where we find uh, recorded the words of the prayer. It's here in Matthew 6 and also in Luke 11, uh, but we're going to be going from Matthew today and we'll read Jesus' instructions to us. If you've got one of our church Bibles, which are kind of down the sides if you need one, we're on page 970, and it's uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And it says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is, uh, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on like the pagans For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and on and on and on it goes, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we uh, recited those words earlier. And I'm going to stop there because that's the little bit that I want us to look at today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we should pray. They're the words of Jesus at the uh, start of this passage uh, that introduced the Lord's prayer to us. And Jesus gives us this helpful framework to guide our prayer. But actually, if you're new to church, new to faith that you're just exploring this morning, then a better question to ask at the very beginning of all this might be, what is prayer? And prayer, most simply, is just talking to God. And to understand prayer, the best place to start is at the very beginning of human history. The Bible records the beginning of human history, actually. In the beginning, God created everything, including us, including humans, mankind. And God didn't create us because he needed us, but he created us to delight in a relationship with us. Adam and Eve lived in uninterrupted relationship together with God until sin entered the world and hearts became corrupted and the relationship between God and his people changed. And the rest of the Bible and actually the rest of history is a love story where God restores relationship with his people and this crescendos in his son Jesus. So as Christians, we believe that when we first become a Christian, we believe the claims of Jesus, that he is who he says he is, that he came to earth, that he lived the perfect life and died a sin-defeating death, rising back to death-defeating life, that Jesus paid on the cross for all the things that separate us from God, the things that we might call sin or the things that we've got wrong in our lives, and it's replaced instead with Jesus' total rightness, what the Bible calls righteousness. Righteousness. That relationship that was broken when sin entered the world is is repaired through Jesus, who defeats the power of sin and removes the barrier that it created so that anyone who believes in Jesus and gives their life to Jesus has access to the Father and has relationship. It's a love story. It's a rescue story. That's why we're here this morning. We can say hallelujah to that because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he's done. Amen. Amen. Great. So God loves being in right relationship with his people. It's what we were made to be in right relationship. And that rescue plan of his to send Jesus to take the judgment we deserve so that we can have that relationship with God shows that love to us. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die that we can have uninterrupted relationship with him. Okay? And so our role is to play an active part in that relationship. Like any good relationship, it requires work, it requires communication, it requires commitment. Here's a photo of Emma and I on our wedding day. Yes. Not aged a day. Look at that. Amazing, isn't it? Although I joke, but actually she hasn't aged, to be honest. is a bit annoying, isn't it? Never mind. Good for me. There you go. Uh, so, we're there on our wedding day. We stood and we made vows to one another, a promise for a relationship, a ring that's still on my finger today that's a sign of that relationship, that we, the commitment that we made to one another. But... If that's all we did, if on that day we come together, we take the photos, we look fantastic, and then after that we kind of carried on living our own lives the way that we wanted to, if we moved to different places and made our own decisions and kind of just did whatever we felt like doing, making different decisions to one another, you might look at me and rightly assume that I'm not married, not in any real sense, because I'm not entering into that relationship in any way. Imagine you... Come to church this morning and you say, Hey, you married? Yeah, I'm married. Oh, where's your wife? Well, Australia, last I heard. I don't know. I haven't, um, yeah, I'll have to check in and see. You'd, you'd think oh, I was pretty odd, right? Pretty weird. Like, that's not a healthy relationship in any sense of the word. When we made our commitment to relationship, our commitment to one another, we moved in together and we made decisions together and we communicated with one another. It's a commitment to walk the hard yards with one another, the good and the bad. And you, might see that relationship mirrored in some of your own relationships, whether it's with a uh, spouse or um, in your family, the way you relate to your parents or a sibling or a close friend that you might have. These relationships become close, and they work because we engage in them. We relate to one another. We become close. And so, to our relationship with God. If we make a commitment to love God, to believe in Jesus and what he said, then that commitment needs to show fruit. That re- that's a relationship that then needs to be worked on. And this is where prayer comes in, because prayer is just talking to God. It's communicating in that relationship. Our passage today makes that really clear. Jesus says, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Prayer is not about asking for things, but delighting in your relationship with God, talking to him, sharing your hearts and your thoughts and your hopes and your fears and your worries and your successes with somebody who loves you dearly and someone who you love. So when we pray, we simply talk, we communicate with our Father who loves us. Again, there's a surprising instruction from Jesus before he starts to give us instruction on how to pray the Lord's Prayer. His disciples are told not to pray on show, not to do it on the street corners, babbling your eloquent words for the world to hear. When you pray, pray simply, pray in secret, pray in quiet places, pray not on show for the world to see, but just communicating between you and God, you and your Father. It's beautifully, simply, uncomplicated. It doesn't take elegant prose. It doesn't take the voice of a BBC presenter on a public stage for you to be able to pray well. It just needs you and you to engage. It's a quiet word on the bus. It's a short prayer with your waking thoughts before you get out of bed. It's a prayer before that important meeting that you're about to go into or a long prayer as you walk along the beach reflecting on what God's done for you that day, sharing your every thought and your every worry. Prayers aren't meant to impress. There's nothing that we can do to impress God. Our motive shouldn't be to impress others either. God already knows what's on our heart. He doesn't want our best words. He just wants us, full stop. Us as we are. Relaxed, no pressure, just chat. That's prayer, okay? One commentator on the subject said that when we pray, we can pray with the assurance that the one to whom you're speaking is already cupping his ear in your direction. That's what prayer should be. That assurance that when you pray, you just know God's listening. So how do we pray? It's a question that the disciples asked of Jesus, and if you're going to be doing the bread Bible reading plan, tomorrow you'll get to Luke 11, and guess what Luke 11 is? It's got the Lord's Prayer in it. So I hope I'm inspiring you today, so when you get to your Bible reading tomorrow, you can, uh, you can read it with uh, all, all the more further. Um, we, like I said in Matthew today instead, and, um, but in Luke 11 verse 1, Jesus Uh, starts praying, and the disciples say to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And here in Matthew, we get this wonderful model from Jesus. We can pray the words and connect with each wonderful line. We can look at it like a map to help shape our prayer life. And that's what we're going to do. So we're going to take it line by line, starting with our Father in heaven. Our prayer starts intimately to our Father, like the start of a letter, we're addressing the one that we come to. In fact, the first three lines, the lines that we're looking at today, are all focused on God, and they're all focused on who he is. And it's a really good tip for anybody who's new to prayer. Where do you start? Well, start by reminding yourself who you're praying to. Don't start with you, start with God. Start by being reminded that God isn't distant, he's not far from us. He isn't someone who doesn't know us, he's someone who loves us and knows us intimately. And that term, Father, is a term of affection It's another reason why our prayers don't need to impress. Our Father knows us. He loves us. He's here for us. In this kind of relationship, we don't need to calculate our words. We're past that, okay? We're beyond that kind of need to impress, that uh, need to to be on our best behavior. The Father knows us intimately, which means we don't don't need to, to do any of that. We can just come as we are to our Father who loves us remember we're being taught here by jesus on how we should pray and he's someone who intimately knows the father he uses the term father to talk about god around 170 times in the gospels alone matthew mark luke and john about 170 times he calls god father and the beauty of what jesus has done for us is that we get to share in that intimacy as well we can say our father and mean it God, the father of creation the father of jesus is our father too And I do appreciate that when we talk about God as Father, there's some that might feel a little bit uncomfortable about that because you might instantly be reminded of your earthly father who isn't particularly the sort of person you want to be around. But the beauty of this prayer and the beauty of the gospel, the reason that we're here this morning, is that our Father, God the Father, is perfect and loves you so much that he made a way to be with you. No failings, no no no-shows, no anger or hurt, only love. And that prayer makes this clear. We're not praying to our earthly fathers. We're praying to our father in heaven. He is the perfect father. And this familial language helps us in church life as well, because as we say our father, when we recite the Lord's prayer together, as we did this morning, we come together and say those words together as a community. We recognize our connection through Jesus to the family of God. We stand as brothers and sisters in community together. Theologian, Karl Barth. Said, Jesus Christ invites us, commands us, and allows us to speak with Him to God, to pray with Him His own prayer, to be united with Him in the Lord's prayer. Therefore, He invites us to adore God, pray to God, and praise God with one mouth and one soul, with Him, united to Him. This is a uniting prayer to our Father in heaven. The start of this prayer reminds us who we pray to, and it reminds us of our identity. If we pray to the Father, then we're his children, a part of his family, united together with him and with one another as we, as we pray and as we communicate to God. And that's why it's so powerful when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, because we come together as community, children to our Father. Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7 say, Because you're his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls our Abba. That could be translated as Daddy, Father. It's intimate, familial language so that you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. This is beautiful news. We're children of God, heirs who are able to use this familial language to address the creator of the universe because of the love that he has for us. God loves you. He is your father, and you get to talk to him like he's your father. We remind ourselves that he's the God of heaven and earth. He's not... Uh, our earthly father. He's he's the father with the vastness of creation laid out before him. God's not bound by space and time. You don't need to book an appointment. He's there outside of your timescales, available, ready to listen, cupping his ear in your direction. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed isn't particularly a word we use anymore, is it? It can be a bit funny if you're not used to this sort of language. But it means that his name should be exalted and honored and adored because he's holy. Okay, that's basically what it means. It's recognition of the otherness of God, the majesty of God, that God is holy. That word holy means set apart, okay? It's not set apart in a relational sense. It's set apart in that he is perfect. And when we say these lines, we do so as an act of worship, recognizing that God is God. Far and above anything, in heaven or on earth. And it's a picture that's reflected in Scripture and something that we're going to be doing for all eternity. If you go to the end of your Bibles, to Revelation, the book of Revelation, kind of talks about the end, what happens at the end of the story. And we get this picture of eternity in Revelation 4. And in it, there's this cry of, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It's this picture of heaven where we're going to be praising God, and the language we're going to use is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to be exalting God's name forever, because he's totally worthy of our praises. The living creatures call God holy as a reference to his perfection, to his otherness, that he's not like us. He is God, that he's unlike anything or anyone else. He's perfect. He's majestic. He's our father. He's the holy God. Holy is a, time that we, it's a term that we find throughout the Bible whenever we are talking about God. Let me give you some examples. In 1 Samuel 2 verses 1 and 2, there's this beautiful prayer Uh, from someone called Hannah, and she's praying and praising God, and she says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There's no one holy like the Lord, there's no one beside you, there's no rock like our God. This is the beginning of her prayer, her pouring out her heart to God, and note how she starts her prayer with praise to God. It's a great model. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Start with prayer and praise to remind yourself who God is. In Leviticus 19, verse 2, something that's also quoted in the New Testament, God actually refers to himself as Holy. It reads, uh, Leviticus 1 and 2, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy is a term that God uses for himself. And there's a call here for us as Christians to imitate God in his holiness. Psalm 96, verse 9, even gives us an instruction to worship the Lord in holiness. It says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him, all the earth. And on and on and on it goes. The Bible is clear. Think God, think holiness. This holiness speaks of God's otherness. He's not human, he's entirely different. He is pure and perfect and majestic and beyond comprehension. He is mighty. He's worthy of our praise and our worship and our adoration because of it. And so to call God holy is to recognize his godness. God is God. He's everything that we're not, and that is good news for us. We're to exalt and we're to honour God's name. We're to praise him, to give him glory, to recognise him for all that we're not and to be thankful that this God, the God of eternity, this perfect, holy God, the God of heaven, perfect and mighty and beyond comprehension, chooses to draw near to us, chooses relationship with us, chooses to cup his ear in our direction. How beautiful is that? The creator of heaven and earth, the perfect, holy God, loves and wants you in relationship with him talking to him. He's there to listen to us. To call God God Father and to call God holy in the same breath is to recognize this otherness and embrace God as God and to bask in the beautiful, wonderful, familial relationship that we have with our almighty God. He's perfect and you're not. I certainly am not. And he sent his son to deal with all of those imperfections that we've got so that we can be seen as perfect in his eyes. So when we come to pray, thinking again about our model, we start our Father in heaven. We talk about God and who he is. We start by reminding ourselves of who God is, that we're praying to the God of all power and all authority, the God who has power to change, the God who has power to create, the God who has power to bring life from nothing. And in that context, we make our requests and we share our heart. That's why it's such a good model for us, because when we pray, we pray to the one who has the power to do it. And starting our prayers by reminding ourselves of that changes the way That we pray. It gives us a whole new perspective on the prayer that we're praying. There's power in prayer because God is powerful, and starting with God gives us the confidence to pray with that in mind, okay? So that's why we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The next line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, kingdoms aren't really something that we talk about particularly nowadays, are they? They're more at home, perhaps in a Disney fairy tale than our everyday language. I think the closest we perhaps got to thinking about kingdoms was last year, with the death of our monarch, the Queen, heralded, heralded a change in our royal figurehead. and We now have to sing, God Save the King, instead of God Save the Queen, as King Charles III replaces his mother. And so far, I'm mostly grateful for the extra bank holiday we get in uh, May this year, when we see the King coronated, as he will be here on the throne. But actually, this week, more than most, we can have a look at the royal family and not be reminded of a good kingdom, a kingdom of authority, but reminded of a kingdom that's very much earthly. As Prince Harry writes his book and filled our newspapers with all the things that, frankly, I didn't want to know, we get reminded of scandal and sensation that have shown our king and the royal family to be decidedly human. Yeah? And actually, our royal family doesn't really particularly reign anymore, not in the sense that we would think of reigning and ruling. One could argue that uh, most of our United Kingdom's authority now lies with the government, and 2022 had more prime ministers than the previous decade before it did, and I shall leave politics there. But you can see that it's problematic, actually, when we think about kingdoms through our own cultural lens, because our model isn't particularly good for what a perfect kingdom should look like, okay? But the kingdom of God is another big theme that the scriptures speak about. And we shouldn't be clouded by our own cultural context and our own experience of ruling and royalty and authority. When we talk about God's kingdom coming, we're not to think of it as a place. It's not a country in the same way that England is a country or the United Kingdom is a country. It's when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about God's rule and God's authority and God's reign over the world that he created. We're not talking about one bit. God's kingdom extends for eternity and God's kingdom extends across the universe, okay? God's kingdom isn't finite, it is infinite. We're talking about the restoration of the world as it used to be, uninterrupted presence of God with his people. This isn't a kingdom that's prone to scandal, and wrongdoing, but a place of perfection where a just and right king will restore the world to how it's meant to be. And saying your kingdom come is recognition that the world isn't as it should be, but that we can long for a day where we're going to be, re- we're going to be reunited with God in uninterrupted relationship, free from the pain that this world can bring. The things that sin has corrupted will be restored. When we pray for God's kingdom to come now, we pray that we would see glimpses of it, glimpses of restoration through healing and through repentance and through the power of the Holy Spirit breaking through into people's lives, into impossible situations, and bringing about God's authority over earthly authority, because God has the power and the authority to do it. Praying for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done is a wonderful prayer to pray, because it recognizes that we're not the answer that the solution to the world's problem won't be found in me, and it won't be found in you, but it will be found in the one who made it. It's a submission to the authority of God, saying that we don't have the answers, but we know the one who does. It's also quite a dangerous prayer to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. In the garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus is arrested and sent to die on the cross, Jesus prays to his Father in heaven and says in Luke 22 these words, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Mm -hmm. Praying your will be done is submitting to the answer that God provides in the full knowledge that it might not be the answer we want to hear, but it's the answer that God knows is best for us. Praying for God's will to be done in your life means being open to God exposing sin in your life that needs dealing with calling you into deeper relationship with him by laying down idols in life that get in the way. Even on the face of it, if on the face of it those things seem like good things, like a relationship or a job or money, things that can be good things, but actually if they're put in the place that's only reserved for God, they become corrupted. It might mean a fresh call to an adventure of faith that takes you away from the plan that you had for your own life. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We recognize that earth isn't how it should be. And actually, that's not a particularly controversial thing to say. You only have to turn on the news, pick up a newspaper, walk down Ashley Road outside, and you can see suffering. You can see injustice. You can see abuse. You can see pain and know that this world isn't how it's supposed to be. The corruption in this world as a result of sin gets wiped away when it's confronted by the power of heaven. God's will is to see these things confronted and one day put to death permanently. And we can look forward to a day where his kingdom will be the norm. Okay? Again, back into Revelation, the end of the the Bible, the last book, we get this picture of what the end will look like, this glorious eternity with God. And in Revelation 21, verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away because the kingdom has come. When we pray, we pray in anticipation for this day Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray that in hope and anticipation that one day we will know and see that there's no death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, because those old things have gone and it's been replaced with His kingdom, His plans, His purposes, His love for us. Until then, we can pray for glimpses of his kingdom to come. We pray that God's kingdom might break into the here and now. When we say the Lord's Prayer, I don't want us to stand there as though we're saying the national anthem, God save us. I want us to be expectant that when we say your kingdom come, we mean it, we want to see breakthrough. We want to see God moving, breaking through into the everyday of life. That's what I want to see. We need to be more expectant because these words come with power. When we say them, we want to mean them and we want to believe that God will come in power and that we'll see uh, glimpses of his kingdom breaking through today. That's what I want to see. Romans 8 verse 23 tells us that we groan for it. It says this, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We live in the now of Jesus' victory on the cross and the not yet of the full realisation of God's kingdom coming. That means that we see pain and suffering, but we also see wonderful faith-building moments where God's kingdom breaks through into the everyday, and we need to be praying and expecting that we see more of it. We can actually feel that tension in our own lives we can share testimony of God's breakthrough, and I'm sure we've all got stories of times where we've met with God and have known God's kingdom breakthrough into our own own lives. We can, uh, we can share testimony of prayers that have been answered, and at the same time, we can still feel pain and experience bad things in life, and we can feel God close to us in those moments of suffering. It's the now and not yet time that we're living in, and what a comfort it is that in moments of pain and suffering, we can pray, God, your kingdom come. God, I'm tired. God, I'm hurting. God, I just, I'm fed up of looking at the injustice around me. I need your kingdom to come. When we're confronted with impossible situations, when we see issues of injustice that make us want to weep, it's in these moments we can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Break into these situations, Lord. That's what we want to see. And I've got to tell you guys, I really want to see more of it. <laughs> I really, really want to see more of it. Gateway Church, I want us to be praying this prayer and meaning it We want to see the sick healed. We want to see lives changed. We want to see gospel impact. We want to see his kingdom come. I want to be praying for that this week. As we head into 21 days of prayer, I want us to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, and be expectant that it will, because it does, and it can, and God can and will do it. It's here that I want us to stop and respond, because I am hungry for it, like preparing for it this week. I have, been, I have been in pain this week. I'm strapped up, I'm sat down. The realities of this now and not yet kingdom of God are realised in me this morning. Like, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not without pain. I don't, I don't want to make light of suffering and pain because I know it and I've felt it. But I also want to believe that God has more for us. Yeah. I see the issues of justice around us, poverty and addiction and neglect and abuse. And to that I say, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. I see people hurting and in pain, people who are broken, people who feel lost, people who are are just hurting and don't know where to go. And to that, I want to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Break through into situations that look impossible. See people even this morning who are in pain, why not be expecting this morning that God might come and bring healing? Your kingdom come and your will be done this morning. We pray to the one who has the power to do it and to change it. And we've got testimony in our own lives in this church where we've seen it happen. And I want more testimonies. I want to see it happen again. I'm hungry for it, and I'm unashamed to pray and ask for more. Do you know why? Because Jesus commands us to do it. This year, I want to see God breaking through in people's lives. We want to see more salvation among us. We want to see people come into this building, get convicted of their sin, know that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, know that they've got a Father who loves them, the God of all power and authority, loves them. I want to see more salvation more breakthrough. We want to be praying for that this year, right? I want to see more people in this baptism pool this year. I want to see more people say publicly, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, and come and get baptized as a public declaration of that faith. want to see that, don't we? Let's pray for it. Let's believe that God can come and do it. If you want to get baptized, by the way, come chat to me at the end. I'd love love to chat to you. I want to see people come into this building because they're lost and find healing and acceptance. I want to see the Holy Spirit moving among us. I want to see healing when we come together on a Sunday morning because we pray for it and believe that his kingdom might come and do it. I want to see justice breakthroughs. I want to see abuse ending. I want to see people come into this building and get convicted of abuse and come out uh, and come out the other side of it. I want to see spiritual and physical poverty have breakthrough this year. Gateway Church, I want us to believe that God can and will do it among us, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And why would God do it? Because he's our father who loves us, who hears our prayers. It isn't that when we pray, we're twisting God's arm to do the things that we want. God, please, would you do it? We just need you to do it. God already knows, but he loves hearing our hearts. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, once said about prayer that it doesn't change God, it changes me. And actually, there's something about coming to pray that helps us to pray towards God's will, that prays our heart, would be more like God's heart, and God wants to see this stuff happening in our lives as well. So as we pray, we're asking that God would make our hearts like his heart, that our desires would align with his desires, and his desire is that his kingdom would come and his will would be done here in Gateway Church, in Poole, in Dorset, and beyond. So come on, stand with me. I'll even stand for this. I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we'd be more expectant, and I'd love for you to pray with me, rousing our men at the end that we'd be more expectant for what our Father in heaven would do among us this year. Our Father in heaven, I thank you that we can call you Father, that you love us so much that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you. Not a relationship where we have to impress, put on our best clothes and say our best prayers, but a relationship where we can just be with you, our Father who loves us. Hallowed be your name. You are high and lifted up. We exalt and praise you for all that you are. Thank you that you are everything that we are not, that you are perfect, that you are glorious, that your plans and purposes are, are, are far above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. And I thank you that those plans and purposes are outworked in us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I'm hungry. I want to see it. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your will be done. I want to see breakthrough in people's lives. I want to see salvation, Lord, among us. I want to hear more testimonies of you breaking through into people's lives, in healing, into impossible situations. I want to see injustices, abuse ending, Lord, in your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want to pray it and be expectant that we would see it when we come together and meet together. We are praying to the God of all power and authority, your kingdom's will reign for eternity. That is the power that we are praying with. And Lord, we want to pray that we would see it here today. We want to pray that we would see it when we come together as a church. We want to pray that as we pray, as we pray towards your will, that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done here. We would see those glimpses of heaven breaking in as we wait expectantly for the day where there'll be no more pain or suffering or sickness and death, and we can enjoy an interrupted, uninterrupted relationship with you forever. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the hope that it brings us in our lives. Lord, we want to see more of that breakthrough every day. Help us to be more expectant for it. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.